Hey everybody, so uh, as we mentioned a couple times, we are recording a lot of these episodes well in advance of their release. This one we just recorded last Friday, but between last Friday and uh, tomorrow, as of recording this intro, a lot has changed. So um, I think we just wanted to kind of, well first unequivocally state that Black Lives Matter and... uh, Police brutality is terrible, and I would love police abolition and, you know, all those things. But also to give some, like, actionable ideas. So Lauren has compiled a really nice list of places local to us that could really use uh, an assist right now. Yes, if you are especially a Chicago listener, but really if you want to make a difference from anywhere in the world, uh, I have donated to... A few places recently and can recommend Black Lives Matter Chicago, the NAACP, the Chicago Community Bail Fund, and specifically that is to pay bail for individuals whose communities cannot afford it, and that involves, in this case, a lot of protesters, especially on the South Side, who may have been caught up in the police action in the last couple of days. My Block, My Hood, My City, is an organization I really appreciate. And if you can't donate money to them, if you live in the area all year round, they're doing great stuff for neighborhoods such as just basic like raking of leaves and shoveling of snow for the elderly and less fortunate. They really care about beautifying the city and taking care of their neighborhoods. So that's my block, my hood, my city. And finally, the Brave Space Alliance is a trans and LGBTQ-led community center on the south side. It is a safe space for diverse people. And not only are they often offering workshops and classes and hangouts, but they have been um, a safe haven certainly for protesters and they've been gathering supplies for people out on the streets as well. So once again, those organizations are Black Lives Matter Chicago, NAACP, the Chicago Community Bail Fund, My Block, My Hood, My City, and Brave Space Alliance. On with the show. Welcome back to She Progressive of Power for one more week. I am Eric. <laughs> and I'm Lauren. And you Lauren keep... was giving me a hard time for saying one more week. But you know what, guys? Every week is precious, right? I don't know why Lauren thinks that that might not be the case, but I like to think that we have to take every week as a gift. That's why it's called the present. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> am I... Put that in like a chicken soup for the soul book or something. I've already cross it. Chicken soup for the podcaster's soul. Yeah, uh, it's going to go on a, a real nice uh, tarp. <laughs> Not a tarp. What do you call the things that you knit that are, are nice and you put in your house? I don't know. A, a blanket, a tapestry. A tapestry. Not a tarp. And yeah. there's also there's also just, if you wanted to do like cross stitch, you could literally, or embroidery, you could just hang it right in the hoop. There's all sorts of crafts you can make here in the pandemic times, Eric. I'm just glad I came up with such a great saying that no one has ever thought of before. I feel like I'm going (laughs) going places with this. Uh, Let's stop being crazy. So 
last week you heard our first guest of the season, Lauren and I getting out of our bubbles metaphorically to talk to people who aren't us. So this week we have, uh, we're, we're back to our friends on a different time zone who have insightful things to say about the show because guess what? They helped create it. So we are honored to have our first DreamWorks guest of the season to talk about an episode that she wrote called Stranded. Everybody, please welcome M. Willis. Hello. Hello. Yeah, I guess I didn't realize I was the first. Yeah, the first of season five. Yeah. Not, technically not the first that we recorded. Time has yeah. no meaning. But <laughs> yeah, I have enjoyed the other episodes with some of the other staff writers. I texted Shane after I listened to her episode and I was like, I was driving to my parents' house and it felt like I got to spend an hour hanging out with her. So it was oh. nice. I actually, I'm, I'm going to jump ahead because before mm-hmm. we get into Shira, I do want to ask you about another show that you're working on. Yeah. A little something called Star Trek Below Decks. It's Lower Decks. Lower Lo- Decks. I think Shoot. Below Decks is the, the Bravo reality show with the kids who all get drunk on a boat. I actually, I keep confusing <laughs> it in my head and I wrote down Lower Decks and then I still said it wrong. <laughs> but yeah, so you're writing the animated Star Trek show that is yeah. doing probably sometime this year on uh, CBS hopefully All Access. Hopefully soon. Yeah, CBS All Access, hopefully soon. I think uh, there should be some announcements about it coming up this summer, um, but we are already working on the second season. We're writing it right now during uh, the shelter in place, so we're all doing our Zoom writer's room every day, um, but uh, so we've still been able to, you know, kind of work as if the world wasn't... Uh, what it is and um but yeah i'm very excited for that to come out later this year that's so cool so i know yeah. from your twitter that you're a trek fan through and through Huge. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite star trek series um my favorite is deep space nine yes i, I love Debbie <laughs> Dax. i love that character i think it's such an interesting what is it like to be someone who has your own agency and personality and thought, but also have the experiences of all these other people in like in your being, um, which is just such a fun sci-fi concept. And I absolutely adored her uh, growing up. And I think Benjamin Sisko is just such a great leader and Kira and Odo and Quark. Um, I, I love that series so much. DS9 is for sure it's like maybe my favorite show of all time the, the mm-hmm. way that it did like serialized plotting before that was the norm just so incredible and i think terry farrell no perry terry terry, terry. farrell yeah terry perry farrell's <laughs> the guy in jane's addiction uh, <laughs> i think terry farrell potentially like my one of my first impactful crushes so oh a hundred percent a babe a babe um, no, it's fantastic. I mean, they did the episode where one of her previous uh, hosts' uh, spouse came onto the ship, and it was this kind of great bisexual story of what it is to uh, to encounter a past love who is the same sex. And I want to say that was probably like my first bisexual, you know, thing on TV that I saw uh, in the '90s. So it was very, uh, yeah, it was it was ahead of its time, and I think it still holds up and is a great rewatch. That it's, may even have been a cultural first. I, I think mm-hmm. it's between DS9 and Roseanne for the first um, lesbian on-screen kiss. Oh, wow, which is yeah. weird to think about now. That yeah. <laughs> Roseanne blazed that trail. 
Yeah. Well, Dax is now held up, uh, at least in sort of like meme culture, as some of the first trans narrative as well. I don't think that's literally the language they were using back when they were making the show. But when you see, you know, your gross fanboy stereotype, like pushing back against politically correct television and inclusive, Mm -hmm. diverse casts, she comes up as an example, like... Look at how all the people around Jadzia Dax in a show in the 90s were just able to adapt to whatever gender, whatever face that uh, Dax had going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everyone around just went, oh, my old friend, and it didn't matter. And so if people were able to accept it on television back then, it seems completely reasonable that 20, 30 years later, it shouldn't be a problem anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and Star Trek's always kind of been, you know, pushing the progressive agenda um, on science fiction and television. I don't know why it's so easy for science fiction and fantasy to be ahead of the game in terms of narrative storytelling and progressive stories. But I like I like writing in this space of being able to tell those stories. I think it's really cool. That's a really great question. I wonder if part of it is because the abstraction people uh they can ignore the you know any quote agenda that they see in it because it's not a one to one with the real world i don't yeah. know yeah i think that's why i i initially i went to school to study uh international relations because i really wanted to be a diplomat uh and then like Battle amy Star- carrero <laughs> Um, And Battlestar Galactica was on at the time, and I just was so moved by it. And it was one of the first TV series, I think, that did a 9-11 allegory in a way that wasn't hitting you over the head, but also in a way that was super smart and elevated and made you think. And it was one of the first series that kind of tackled that. And, uh, And I really was moved by that. And I was like, oh, this is where you can actually get... Uh, these conversations moving and going because if you're actually talking about it as a one-to-one thing, people get closed, you know, they get uh, conversations get closed down and you don't get to go anywhere with that. But in storytelling, you can kind of mask it. Yeah. That's something that's simultaneously beautiful and wonderful and sad about science fiction is what we have to remember is science fiction is imagined by human beings Mm -hmm. and human beings they can imagine whatever they want when they make sci-fi and it can be aliens and technology and far-off planets but you can also just imagine a more inclusive and diverse world where people like yourself or your friends or your loved ones have a place that they belong. And I actually am heartened and disheartened by the fact that that's, that's where some people have to go to bring those stories to life because even not, not not so long ago, even like gay marriage being legal was imaginary. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, my favorite Deep Space Nine episode, which I think makes this my favorite piece of Star Trek media, or at least tied with First Contact, is this episode called Far Beyond the Stars, which is oh, where, yeah. Sis- right? where Cisco imagines him- he has this like hallucination that he's a pulp writer in the 1940s, and he has this story in his head called DS9, and his magazine won't publish it because the captain is black. 
And so then he says, well, what if I make the what if I make it a dream of a black man in the current day? And his editor thinks that's okay, and then the publisher scraps it. And he ends up having this breakdown because he just wants so badly to see someone like him in in his stories in like a position of leadership. And it it breaks my heart like thinking about it. It's such a good episode. Yeah, yeah Avery Brooks's performance in that is it gives me chills every single time. It's great. Oh my god. Yeah, he he's one of, of a fine tradition of Star Trek punching up in their yes. <laughs> uh, actors casting, you know, like, yeah, good Lord. Anyway. Yeah, so, so yeah, no, it's been uh, just to tie it back to Lower Decks. It's, it, Lower Decks is obviously it's it's a comedy. Um, so uh, but what's nice is it's made by a bunch of people who are Star Trek fans uh, first. And we all really love the material, whether it's people like me who grew up with it or some of our writers are coming to it fresh and have fallen in love with it in the last year. And, um, but it's really coming from a place where we're not punching down on Star Trek. Um, people have done that. It's easy, I think. Um, and we're not interested in that space. We're more interested in what is it like to be a fan of Star Trek and now you are a Starfleet officer who knows all the great, you know, the great heroes of that world. And is as much of a fan as Kirk and Picard and Cisco and Janeway as the fans are themselves. It's about my story, isn't it? That's what this is all about. He didn't want to publish my story. And we all know why. Because my hero is a colored man. Hey, this magazine belongs to Mr. Stone. If he doesn't want to publish this month, we don't publish this month. End of story. That doesn't make it right, and you know it. Don't tell me what I know. Besides, it's not about what's right. It's about what is. And I'm afraid I've got some more bad news for you, Benny. Mr. Stone has decided that your services are no longer required here. What? You're firing me? I have no choice, Benny. It's his decision. Well, you can't fire me. I quit. To hell with you! And to hell with Stone! Try to stay calm, Benny. No, I'm tired of being calm. Calm never got me a damn thing. I'm warning you, Benny, if, if you don't stop this, I'm going to call the police. You go ahead, call them! Call anybody you want. They can't do anything to me. Not anymore. And nor can any of you. I'm a human being. Damn it. You can deny me all you want, but you cannot deny Ben Sisko exists. But I guess we probably should talk about She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. <laughs> yep. That show's pretty good now. <laughs> you did a pretty good job. Yeah. Well, and, and to be honest, like, I, you know, I think everything I learned from working on She-Ra and the Progressives, or not She-Ra and the Progressives of Power, sorry. <laughs> Are you our writer? That's the podcast. Um, no, but working on She-Ra, I think, you know, prepared me in a lot of ways to return back to the world of Star Trek now, not just as a fan, but as a writer. Um, and this episode, Stranded, is probably the most Star Trek episode we did on She-Ra. I completely agree. So we always ask, were you familiar with the property at all before you took on the job? I was. I um, So I had kind of a, a, a different upbringing. Uh, my parents are international school teachers, and so they taught overseas. And we were living in Malaysia. Um, and when I was real young, uh, I was born on Malaysia. 
And uh, my dad and I would watch the He-Man series and the movie in particular. I was obsessed with the movie, which I have not revisited as an adult. But I did see Frank Langella at a play once. And I was like, oh, my God, it's him. (laughs) um, Fully freaked out. But, uh, yeah, so I was more a fan of He-Man. I was not as familiar with She-Ra growing up. Uh, but, uh, as soon as Rebecca started working, uh, on the property at DreamWorks, she and I had worked together at CAIA, one of the talent agencies out here. And, um, she was like, this show, it's going to be amazing. It's Noelle Stevenson. Um, and so I started watching some of the old, uh, cartoon series, uh, even before I got the job or was a part of it, just knowing that DreamWorks was going to be doing a remake of it. I was curious. What was I know I know we were supposed to be talking about Shiro, but it actually plays into a question I wanted to ask. What mm-hmm. is the other DreamWorks show you stuck around for? Oh, it's uh, Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous. That's what I thought. And so yes. love it. Big dinosaur fan. Uh, <laughs> and I, I guess I want to I want to ask you about what it feels like to take so many properties that already have these passionate established fan bases like She-Ra already had people that loved it. Jurassic Park already had people that loved it. Star Trek too. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you do to sort of make sure you're honoring these amazing legacies? It's it's definitely a challenge. And, and right before She-Ra, my last job as an assistant was I was the writer's assistant on the Fox TV series, The Exorcist which also um, into the same bin. Yeah. 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 uh, Another big franchise. Uh, So um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I have complicated feelings about it because sometimes when I'm reading about certain things that are going into development, I, you know, I'm always like, Oh, I wish that person wasn't writing that remake. I wish they would do, you know, their own story or I'm, you know, I don't need to see another, this type of movie. I'd love to see some original story, but at the same time, I, you know, it is uh, what I have primarily worked in, so I can't criticize it too much. But um, it's been it's been different for each project because, you know, for The Exorcist, we were more of a, um, a sequel to the movie. And so we got to play in that space of what happens to um, Reagan McNeil when she grows up. Uh, and coming to She-Ra, it was so exciting to see what Noelle had a vision for and what she was going for. Cause I joined, um, they did, uh, I joined for the last year. So seasons four and five. And by then most stuff had already been set up and, you know, we knew where the show was going ultimately, but it was just so cool to see how everything could have a new take on it. Like, for example, in this episode, the uh, the characters uh, Jewel Star, Jewel Star, uh, Tall Star, and Starla are originally the Star Sisters in the original cartoon, and we we had a hot conversation of it. Of we wanted to make, you know, this this family in space, and can we use those characters still? But can we do it something do something a little bit different? And that's where they became the star siblings and uh, Jewel Star is a trans man. And that was something we thought would be really cool and elevate the story of these siblings in space and just make it something that we didn't have to comment on, but just make it something that was normalized so that people could just see, oh yeah, this is something that is, you know, happens in the world and is normal and it doesn't need to be the point of the story. It can just be, you know, a part of the story. 
I'm glad you brought that up because um, we have always been super huge fans of the casting decisions made by Shira. And in this case, uh, Jewel Star was Alex Blue Davis, who is a trans mm -hmm. actor. And so to have trans people playing trans people and non-binary people playing non-binary people, it's, it's again, heartening and disheartening that it's happening and it's it's just a natural part of the process for this show, but is also so historic. Mm -hmm. So it's, I, it's one of those uh, things that it, it, it can be so easy to make, like Noel made it feel so easy to make those decisions of this is the obvious thing we can do, let's do it. And it is just fascinating to kind of realize that it is this uphill battle for a lot of creators and a lot of people um, in the casting world of just pushing, you know, pushing the line a little further. Uh, and it, yeah, it, it, it's, I feel the same way where it's heartening and disheartening all in one. I want to ask a very like nuts and bolts logistical question, because this is still out in the fandom as like a question mark. The star siblings that we see in this episode, are they supposed to be the same as the characters that are on the wall in Bright Moon and are in Princess Prom, or are they different people? They I've seen are, literally both. I know. <laughs> it was one of those things where we were talking about it, because we always had Wiki Gray Skull like a click away in our writer's room of what can we pull from the original series? What was something cool that we want to take do our take on? And with this, we all got so excited about doing the star siblings. And um, I remember uh, Josie came in and was just like, oh no, like in the map that Adora pulls in Princess Prom, she definitely is pointing to the star sisters at one point. So that would be a line change, a ADR, and we'd have to go back and change animation and, you know, the expenses and the cost of all of that. So I think you know, yeah, there's definitely uh, star sisters on Etheria that is pointed to in past episodes. But I think in our hearts, these are who were formerly the star sisters in the the world of uh, of the show, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> for my headcanon, I loved the idea that Jewel Star just maybe transitioned mm -hmm. since then. Like, since Princess Prom, when we saw those characters in the background that maybe were the Star Sisters, that transition happened, and now it's a different world. Now they're the siblings. Mm -hmm. But there are, you can read wikis out there that are like, don't confuse them with those earlier characters because those yeah. are women and they're from Etheria. And I'm like, I I'm sure someone has the, the actual answers. Certainly someone had that talk. Well, yeah, we did. And yeah, I think it is. These, the star siblings are, are not from Etheria. They were not at Princess Prom. They are not those same characters. But I think we are still, the idea being that these characters on their own planet that they reference, they reference that Horde Prime has uh, taken over their planet, um, that they were the star sisters and that Jewel Star is canonically trans in the show, um, but is not necessarily the, the, uh, the I, I know the image people are referencing and it's it, that Jewel Star is not that character. Awesome. Lauren, now we're gonna get cited on Wiki Grayskull. <laughs> we are nice, we nice work. That's yeah. all. That's all I really wanted. I wanted to get more <laughs> citations for this podcast. 
But when I when I went to PowerCon, you know, I because I wrote uh, Pearls of Peekaboo as well. So, and um, I had some double trouble episodes in the previous season. So I was I went hunting for all the original uh, double trouble toys, and I got my Starla, my Jewel Star, my Tall Star, and even my Glory. I got that too. I thought I had heard that Double Trouble was among the harder Princess of Power figures to track down. Is I don't yeah. know if you know if that's the case, but congrats if you found one. <laughs> I didn't find Double Trouble in uh, at PowerCon. I ended up finding them in a random store in Portland that I was walking by, and they had some cool like Star Wars lunchboxes. And I was like, let's see what else is in here. Nice. And um, I found them in there. That's so rad. Yeah. <laughs> Well, with that said, should we dive into the rest of the episode? Let's do it. Yeah, so, give us that recap. All right. Oh, man, this this is... I don't think I've ever had to recap an episode with the writer on the <laughs> line before. I usually insert it later. I'm very <laughs> self-conscious now. Um, so, Stranded. Uh, Adora, Bo, Entrapta, and the newly rescued Glimmer uh, are on Darla and attempting to make their way back to Etheria, but Darla needs power. So Entrapta uses her tech magic to find uh, a, a planet with uh, f- with fuel that will, like, power Darla and get them back home. Unfortunately, when they arrive at the planet, they see that it's, it's mostly barren uh, because all the crystals they need are, like, in these underground cavernous structures. While uh, Adora has fallen into one and is kind of exploring, she runs into the aforementioned star siblings. They all work together to uh, get some crystals to fuel their ship. And Adora convinces her uh, her partners, although it doesn't take a lot of convincing, to go back to Horde Prime's vessel and rescue Catra, without whom uh, Glimmer would not be free right now. And then is there a B-plot in this episode? I don't... Oh, it's, yeah, uh, Swiftwind. Swiftwind. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Swiftwind is trying to contact uh, uh, She-Ra through their, like, telepathic Power of Grayskull link. And uh, at the end is successful. We got to talk about that moment, even though you've all seen it and you all know that uh, Swiftwind is successful. It's really cool and a really nice reveal. I think that covers the main points. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did it. You did it. Good job. <laughs> In that front of the writer the, and everything. That was like the least gusto I've ever had about recapping an episode. I'm like, oh my god, don't say something that sounds like I, I don't like it or I'm not, I'm not paying it respect. <laughs> well, I, I think it's interesting that we were talking about all of these throwback franchises and whether or not stories can be original. Because I think out of this whole season, this is the most sort of standalone episode this is like an interlude that happens off to the side and so if if there is an original story in the season i guess it's this i agree with that and i literally to call back an earlier conversation i wrote in my notes as a sci-fi fan M must have had fun writing this episode (laughs) so my first question is M, did you have fun I did. Yeah. I think, um, you know, it certainly is an interlude in the sense that Save the Cat, the next episode is so big and meaty of like this very, you know, action packed episode that uh, this kind of was the opportunity to get through some of the emotional stuff that was left hanging from the previous season, particularly Glimmer and Bo. And how do you reconnect with a friend that you have so much, um, you know, shared pain with at this point um, and do it quickly so that by the next episode they can be working as a team. So that brings us to 
really i think the whole the driving force of our podcast this season um lauren and i made 24 predictions on a bingo card before i heard that episode yes (laughs) (laughs) so one of my predictions was that uh glimmer was going to win an oscar with her reconciliation (laughs) speech and so i think one of the big questions this episode is begging is is does she win that oscar and this is one so i marked it as a discussion question uh i thought lauren and i would have to talk it out but you are here and can be Mm. the the deciding voice now but i'm gonna say this I don't think she wins that Oscar. I think a lot of the emotional heavy lifting is is kind of carried by Bo and is done in more subtle ways. Yeah, I uh, I really loved how much of like the the moment where Bo hesitates, touching her shoulder and reaching out to her, and then pulls back. Um, I thought the, the animators did like it, it's it's a gorgeous scene the whole episode. But yeah, Bo is doing a lot of um, silent contemplating because I think. Adora says at one point, Bo got so, um, you know, uh, distracted by the mission to save Glimmer. He kind of pushed down any feelings and emotions and, you know, confusing thoughts he had about what had happened in the previous season um, to focus on the mission. And now all of a sudden he has to deal with that with her right there. And he's not sure because, you know, she still kind of hurt his feelings and there's still a sense of betrayal, but now he's got his best friend back and shouldn't he be happy? And why isn't he more happy? And having to, I think Marcus does such a great job um, in the voice acting for this episode too, of just bringing a lot of that, you know, confusion and, um, and thoughtfulness to, to the role. So that, this is very real. Like the, the internality of these characters Mm. is, is very real. I like in contrast to Bo and Glimmer how Adora forgives Glimmer basically immediately. Yeah. <laughs> like there's no no drama there. I mean Adora has a wonderful line about I'm usually the punch your feelings out guy. <laughs> but I part of me does wonder if, if this relates to kind of Adora having a lot of tenderness foist upon her right now. Like these feelings for Catra are probably very raw at this moment and she's very worried about her friend question mark. So <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I, th- I just thought that was an interesting choice and I liked it a lot. Yeah, I, I'm really excited about I It was something we talked about in breaking this episode that Glimmer at the end shouldn't be demanding Bo's forgiveness, but for the first time, maybe giving him the space to eventually forgive her, which I think is a real sign of maturity that is something in my thirties I am still learning how to do. Um, and that was something we talked a lot about of just, you know, when lines of communication, uh, kind of fail in friendships, how do you get back to a place and how do you give people room to be able to eventually get there? Well, there's, there's so much in this season about forgiveness and you're absolutely right. I think what I really appreciate about this episode is, that their ultimate reconciliation between Glimmer and Bo, it's very, um, it there's to me there's no Oscar because it, it is so real. It's it's not like a big speech. It's like mm-hmm. yeah, I'm giving you space, and then when you're ready, it'll happen. And I think that's so great. And I I like that as a kind of a measuring point to compare the uh, other things in the season to that we'll see later. Yeah, yeah. And having Adora and Glimmer, you know, at the moment at the beginning where they they kind of apologize and are able to move on, I think to them, those words were the, really the only thing they needed to hear for one, from one another. And for Bo, it was a little bit more personal. Yeah. I, I still want to 
I don't know if this is devil's advocate, but Glimmer might win the Oscar for me. And it depends on how strict you want to be with the language. Because you said she was going to give a reconciliation speech. I think where she would win the Oscar is the, the physical moment where she, uh, to jump ahead, decides against everyone else's advising and desperation that this is their one shot and she's going to get those crystals. And sort of with the, the clock ticking and everyone screaming and the cave falling down, she tells Bo, could you please just trust me? And then as she's climbing, we realize she's not so sure herself. She's telling herself you can do this. She's reassuring herself. And it's such an emotionally stacked moment. I was just on the edge of my seat that I think she could win an award there. But it's not okay. a speech. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, I guess, I mean, I guess I'm not a devotee of the Oscar <laughs> ceremony. But I feel like the clips they pull out for best actor usually aren't uh those subtle like physical moments but maybe i'm wrong you know maybe this is more about award shows than about uh what Glimmer is going through (laughs) (laughs) and unfair standards in the industry i did also want to make your the comment you said about adora forgiving really quickly it might have something to do with the emotionally like tender state she's in but i'm over here thinking about when we talk to james and james for the first time really made me look in the face of Adora and realize that Adora is not like a brainy character. <laughs> Adora <laughs> Adora's not the smartest of the trio. She is more of the punchy character. And I think because she's less cerebral, Bo is the brain character, right? And so Br- mm-hmm. Bo spent this entire episode thinking and thinking and thinking in the quiet contemplation. Um, Adora's not a thinker that way and so adora (laughs) it's a much simpler choice for her um have you guys of course you have you've heard of like the the brain gut heart kind of triad right Mm -hmm. uh it's a a common common storytelling trope like kirk is a, a gut character whereas spock is a brain character and i think this is a perfect like brain gut heart trio we have the inventor the thinker Bo. We have the, the the muscle, the gut, Adora, and then the emotional like heart of of Glimmer, sort of seeking forgiveness, and they play off of each other really well. Yeah, I think Adora is definitely yeah. It, comparing her to Kirk is is fun. Of she's our she's our jock. He just yeah. is very affable and you know wants to go out there and do the things she can do, but. Uh, don't ask her. Don't ask her feelings questions. <laughs> yeah, when we were joking around about uh, Shira and Office characters a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. and I, I kind of off the top of my head was like Adora's Michael Scott, and the more I thought about it, I'm like, they do have more than a few similarities. <laughs> Adora's yeah. a little better at leading people, but you know, we found ourselves on the less prepared side of things when Stanley had his when his heart went berserk. And I knew exactly what to do, but in a much more real sense, I had no idea what to do. Uh, so speaking of our uh, bingo game, Lauren is going to score another big point. In fact, I think, Lauren, you score a smiley face because of the aforementioned star siblings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said that old characters from the uh, the previous iteration of she are going to come back. I think, though, M 
M might mess up the smiley face a little bit because I literally said characters from the first rebellion. And if these are different star siblings, they weren't there, but I might claim it on a technicality anyway, because (laughs) my observation was in the trailer. I think those are the star siblings and they were, so I'd like to give myself the point question mark. I'm going to allow it. I'll allow it. I I mean, if the star siblings were going to appear and I was going to get the box for it, here they are. (laughs) (laughs) I I thought their inclusion in this episode made it feel in some ways like a very classic Princess of Power episode Mm -hmm. where the the A plot is Adora convincing some people that are sitting on the fence about how evil the Horde is. And it, it ticked a lot of nostalgia boxes for me, even while being very like you know, uh, modern in its writing and sensibility. So I very much appreciated that. Yeah, no, I think that, yeah, it was our chance to kind of expand the rebellion, but in space. Ooh, space rebellion. Space rebellion. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely think the threat of Horde Prime is strong and palpable in this episode, even though we never see him. My favorite line, because it was so chilling in this one, was, if he's on your planet, it's already over. The star sisters, I mean, the star siblings have such expertise from the tragedy of their past and running from this evil force. They, They feel like they know better from what they've seen. And you really believe them, you know? You, I mean, when you look at these characters, there's so much story being told, even in their physical bodies. We have headsets and robot arms, and it just, they really strike me as they've seen some shit. <laughs> and so yeah. I, the story I wrote in was that a lot of that suffering came from Horde Prime. He's not yeah. in this episode at all, but he's looming over it still. Yeah, even with the spire in the background, you know, I think uh, it, it, we, I, how do I say this? It's, we had so much we wanted to say in this season and, you know, we had the episode order and I think as much as we wanted to explore Horde Prime's shadow through all of space, you have to kind of condense that to these three characters and what they represent for what else is happening in the rest of the universe. Um, and so I think, yeah, the, I think they do a good job of um, expressing that, that horror of his, his reach. Something I want to call out about the star siblings that it took me to my second watch through to f- figure out Melissa Fumero voice one, uh, voices yeah. one of them. What? She's Starla. That's crazy. She's like so cute. I love it. <laughs> that's a, uh, a- Amy from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, for folks who yeah. don't know, that, that she's, to me, like, that's a wickedly famous person you got to do a voice <laughs> on this show. Yeah, we were really excited to get her. And I remember um, uh, Melissa and Alex Blue Davis, who does Jewel Star, they were in the recording booth together. So it was really fun to get those sibling interactions with the two of them there. Yeah, they do, they do so much talking over each other and interrupting each other's sentences. I had to imagine that they all sort of recorded shoulder to shoulder which just sounded yeah. great yeah and then tall star is uh ashley Eckstein who um does uh her universe yes she's ahsoka tano from yes. star wars and i have a picture with her and it's one of my favorite like convention souvenirs oh fun you wanted to see me captain 
My husband's dog, Cheddar, had relations with a neighbor dog, Karate, and produced these two smaller dogs. He insisted that I find them a good home with someone we trust. You can trust me. Dogs are my whole life. Also work. Doing work and hanging with dogs. That's my lifestyle. <laughs> You're allergic to dogs, aren't you? Nope. I just need an EpiPen because my happiness is making my throat close up. Hand me the small dogs, Santiago. One other bingo check-in, which I don't remember whether this is mine or Lauren's, but one of us said that She-Ra was going to transform without the sword. Now, we don't we don't see it, see it in this episode, but... But you get the glimpses. Yeah. I don't think it counts. Strong evidence. <laughs> I don't think it counts. You don't think it counts? No. Wait, she... the writer of this episode just told you that it happened. <laughs> I I will not be intimidated. <laughs> I don't think it counts. I think oh, the way that the, the glimpses in... I oh, Okay, I will agree with uh, Lauren, but I think the way the glimpses uh, show you what's happening without showing you the full picture and getting to save that moment maybe for a future episode, um, I think that was so brilliant. Like Mandy, our director in Australia who did this episode, I, I think they did such a fantastic job with that because you get the goosebumps, you get, you know what has happened, but without seeing the actual full, you know, full picture of it, uh, it leaves it a nice little mystery. It gives us such a beautiful reveal of maybe what the future of the show is going to be about too, because the star siblings uh, are marveling at the fact that that was magic and there's magic in this universe. Uh, it's treated with this really strong, like revelatory quality that they had never fathomed something could beat Horde Prime before. But if magic is real, then absolutely. And I found that very inspiring. Yeah. I think that's one of my favorite messages from the series, obviously, but this episode in particular, uh, the hope and the optimism of you have the star siblings who, as you said, have seen some shit and um, getting to see magic for the first time and, and have this hope and optimism moving forward is, um, is something I kind of have to remind myself every day right now to, to have a little bit um, of optimism uh, moving forward. And so um, I think it's just a really cool and powerful, uh, powerful uh, moment. Man, that's that's real. Uh, as, as we record on a on a really tough day for America, like yeah. Uh, which thank you for doing this still. Yes, yes, yeah. Uh, no, I. Um, it is a nice. Uh, I I have always enjoyed your podcast talking about the political as well as you know the fandom and the stories, and uh, I think that's what we need. Well, it's funny. I don't think we put this so explicitly to anyone at DreamWorks before, so you'll be my cipher for this. Mm -hmm. It almost You've almost made it harder in a way because the original show was so, like, lesson of the week. So it's like, okay, here's our episode about freedom of speech. But <laughs> with you guys, it's just like this liberal paradise all the time. And it's like, oh, boy, okay. Yeah, so I don't one... think any of us, like, we never made, you know, the after school special episode uh, kind of vibe that some 80s stuff has. But um, I think, yeah, there's still, you know, we still want people to have those inspirations, especially if it's this, their first time coming upon these type of characters or these types of stories. Um, you know, so I think there's still stuff to, to learn, if not lesson of the week. 
Oh, for sure. It's yeah. more artfully done, uh, but it's, it's <laughs> harder from my perspective. Yeah. Well, it's against it's against the original premise of the podcast because the original premise of this show, at least from my perspective, was partially Eric trying to make the argument that this like Reagan era 80s cartoon did indeed have these messages and was important for these reasons and is still applicable today. And so we kind of came on the air to make that argument in a very active way. And now this episode to me is like, well, the thesis statement is Shira said trans rights. Okay, well, she, <laughs> she did, yeah. and we all agree, and the podcast was 15 seconds long. This week. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but so... I'm not going to let this go that She-Ra transforms because it also segues into the B story of the episode we haven't talked about, which is the whole episode. Swiftwind is trying to contact She-Ra, which I love that they use phone terminology for. She's <laughs> saying pick up. Yep. Does anyone on Etheria have a phone? Arguably both. Probably. I guess I, yeah. I mean, I guess there's, you know, the, uh, his tracker pad has communicators. a lot of communicators. Yeah. Yeah. So there's some iPhone techie stuff in there. Yeah. But at the end of the episode, after a, many, many attempts, Swiftwind uh, says She-Ra's back. Because in that moment that Adora transforms, he makes contact. So to me, Lauren, that's that's it. That's That's the proof, man. It really raises a deeper <laughs> question for me, I think, which is, is Adora She-Ra sometimes or all the time? Because I wouldn't argue that he felt her because she transformed. He he feels her always now because Shira has returned, even though Adora remains Adora for the rest of that episode. Hmm. Hmm. But I guess the credit is full, so we don't really know. We don't really know if he's like, oh, it was just for a second, and now I don't feel her anymore. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I do. Uh, I do want to give the shout out to the the Swiftwind sort of recapping what's been yes. happening back at camp. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hilarious, so funny, both in terms of the animation, the voice acting, and the fact that like everyone kind of agrees that Seahawk did a terrible job raising morale. <laughs> this yeah. is just universally panned. Is Seahawk? Yeah, I love. I love that, and I love that Scorpia and Swiftwind have this friendship striking up. I think this is the second instance we've seen of it. It's so delightful. Yeah, the first is in uh, in my first episode of the season, the premiere, where, you know, it's like between my wings and your, uh, or my hooves and your pincers. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Scorpia moment we see really early in the episode is her sort of raising morale and telling people there's nothing you can't do. And I think it's really important that we call out that moment and notice it because Scorpia is so used to being treated like a physical force. She is the muscle of the horde. And really when she's at her best, in my opinion, is when she's being an emotional support character like we see in a brief moment here. Yeah. Legit. A uh, couple other things I wanted to call out about this episode. I I think it's there's some moments that are just so incredibly funny. Literal LOL at the uh, I see a light. <laughs> Don't go into the light. It's not that kind not of light. Kind of light. <laughs> so good. Uh, I think I was watching this at like seven in the morning, and that got a real real laugh out of me. <laughs> um, there's some very interesting Catradora. Uh, 
I guess, fuel here. Maybe some some embers to stoke the the fire. Uh, Adora can't bring herself to say he has someone on his ship. Someone I dot dot dot. Yeah. What could that mean? Everything's really complicated with Adora. Yes, another line I wrote down. <laughs> and I I can't I'm sure this wasn't intentional, but the climax of this episode reminded me a lot of Lauren, do you remember the episode The Price of Freedom, which is many people's favorite classic Shira episode? I know that we watched it. So that's the one where uh He-Man learns that people have to fight on Etheria and that there's worse punishments than being grounded. Oh yeah, uh, of course. <laughs> when we so, really so see the... the difference between his world and hers. Right. So the climax of that episode is basically that He-Man holds up a collapsing mountain so rebels can escape to the Whispering Woods in freedom. And I just thought that was really cool that the climax of this episode is essentially that Adora slash She-Ra is holding up a collapsing mountain so <laughs> the rebels can find their freedom. I will say that that, that might have been an unintentional homage, but we'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> there's only so many ways that our buff cartoon characters can show that they are indeed buff and one is holding up a mountain what can i say exactly right yeah <laughs> well i think it you know it just it does the same thing in both stories which is that it, it lets uh it lets the other characters kind of you know fight for for what they find important while the strong person is strong yeah and i think i mean again that the after the explosion of magic, as it were, uh, her looking at the cave and what she's done, uh, I think the animation on that just came back so amazing. And that, that kind of brings me to my, my last point about the episode, which is that this, and I, I'm sorry I'm not just buttering you up, I would have said this even if you weren't on the show, but episodes like this are kind of what I always thought the old Princess of Power could be, and as much as like, I'm sure I've used this analogy of She-Ra in the classic series is kind of like the Megazord. Like they just call her and you know that they're going to win at the end of the episode. Mm -hmm. But this episode makes you really wonder, you know, and, and then she comes in and went most when she's needed. And it's like this really wonderful, uh, dramatic moment. And, but Adora has to do the work too. Like the characters are the point. And I think that's so cool. And I love it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, uh, getting to watch the final one. Cause I had left DreamWorks before, I think I saw one animatic of this, the first animatic, but I had left before a lot of, you know, the the color of, you know, some of the characters, uh, the art for some of the characters. And so getting to watch it this season as just a fan, too, was really, really fun. That's really sweet. Yeah. Uh, Lauren, what else have you, do you want to cover here? Uh, I just wanted to cover, so in the last episode that our listeners are hearing, I stumbled across the fact that uh, <laughs> Horde Prime's ship is the Velvet Glove, which was yes. uh, an homage. Uh, I, I stumbled <laughs> across another another fact I didn't know before today. Uh, when I was trying to research uh, that the voice actor of Jewel Star, so I was able to name him properly during this episode... I stumbled across a Tumblr post by Ray Geiger, who's been on this show before. And Ray mentioned that not only is... So Jewel Star is canonically trans, but apparently Ray intended for Perfuma to be a trans woman. And that is not canon. That's not something that actually like made it into the show. But when Ray designed that character that was something on their mind. And I thought that was really interesting. I know there's been a lot of fan theory 
about Bo being trans and how sometimes Bo's um, undergarments like resembled binding and what that meant. And it wasn't uh, wasn't the intention for Bo, I guess, but it was for Perfuma. And that's just a really cool fact that I'm excited by. Not yeah, canon, though. I, don't don't wiki yeah. site. It's not <laughs> canon. Not canon, but um, yeah, I've been seeing a lot of art that implies that as well, a fan art. And I'm always just kind of blown away by, um, I, as storytellers, you know, you can say the story you want to say or intend to say, and then seeing other people grab it and take life to it and um, have their own interpretations and their own imaginations running wild of what what they're doing off screen and what they're doing in the future. Or I, I'm a big Tumblr person, and so I love you know, um, alternative universe, um, alternate universe, uh, takes on different characters and, uh, it's, it's just fun to see. Well, something I'm, I've said before, and I will say again, is I think one of the great gifts of this season is that it ends in a way that encourages people to continue the story in their own heads, in fan fiction, in discussions. And I think that's wonderful. So, uh, it's cool that you guys are like, you encourage that, you know, it, it's not this like, oh, I'm protective of, of this work. It's yeah, like it's out in the world and uh, let people take it as their own and get inspiration from it. Yeah, I mean, that was something I always did as a kid when I didn't see myself, you know, represented in some of the books I was reading or uh, the movies I was watching. Like, I, I love Lord of the Rings, but, you know, Eowyn and, and Arwen are are they leave something to be desired. <laughs> um, and, and I love those characters, but, you know, I always was like, I want to go on the adventure and imagining, you know, a character myself, you know, being in the fellowship uh, was kind of how I started my own storytelling process. And so I'm excited to see what the next generation of people who are watching She-Ra and enjoying it and coming up with their own stories after uh, the series finale, uh, what they'll be making in, you know, 10 years. That's amazing. Uh, all right. Well, I think that brings us to the end of our discussion of Stranded, which, I mean, to me, we're just on a hot streak of episodes. I, I loved Corridors. I love Stranded. I love Save the Cat. Spoiler for next week. Uh, I don't know when this train's going to stop. Maybe it won't stop. Maybe I'll just be high on She-Ra forever. But uh, I want to thank you, M, so much for taking the time to do this, uh, to talk to us, and for writing for, I mean, just for being a part of such a really cool thing. Yeah, no, it was it, it was so lovely speaking to both of you. I've listened to the podcast for, I, I want to say years, but I feel like that's wrong. But um, what is time right now? If our fans want to uh, see some of your upcoming work or maybe even find you online, where would you like them to go? Yeah, uh, so Jurassic uh, World uh, Camp Cretaceous should be premiering on Netflix sometime this summer. And then Star Trek Lower Decks will be premiering sometime this fall. And uh, I just made my Twitter public uh, for the first time in years. So I am on Twitter at The Other Willis, W-I-L-L-I-S. Fantastic. Everyone go follow him and be nice. You know, I, I will say, I feel like Shira fandom, I mean, just our interactions are like, you know, 0.1% of what you guys get, but everyone has been very cool to us so far. So I hope that's the case for the folks who work on the show. Too. Yeah, it's been really lovely. Like, I think all the fan art and just the response to this season has been incredibly overwhelming and so positive. And it's been nice to see everyone's hard work kind of um, be appreciated this way. Hell yeah. 
yeah thank you everybody thanks for listening thanks for um creating and we'll be back next week with another very cool guest thank you be safe everyone talk to you soon listen to your Thanks for listening to She-Ra, Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressiveofpower.